Hey, you're listening to the Bramley Baptist Church podcast. We're glad you're joining us to listen to this week's message. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to strengthen your walk with God, we believe that God will speak to you today. Let's get into the Word together. Well, uh, a couple weeks ago, Allie and I celebrated God's faithfulness to us uh, after uh, celebrating 17 years of marriage together. God has been so good. And uh, 17 years, and I know it may be difficult for you to imagine, but I have done some things in those 17 years that have required forgiveness. Especially early on. Like when you have no clue what it means to be a husband and you're just figuring out what, what bonehead things you just don't do or don't say. For instance, there was this one year and this is back in our first year of marriage. It was the year that uh, the Swiffer wet jet mop came out. You remember that? And uh, we would see those commercials come on and, and Allie would just be like, wow. I'd love to have that mop. It would make life so much easier. Maybe she wasn't that dramatic, but something along those lines. And, and me being, you know, the, the husband that I was, I, I took note of that. Allie wants the Swiffer wet jet mop. She's going to get the Swiffer wet jet mop. And so that year, our first Christmas together, I bought her <laughs> a mop. It was a Swiffer wet jet mop in, in my defense, but it was still a mop. And, and listen, husbands, if, if you're taking notes, listen, it didn't go well. But praise God, we have moved on and she has forgiven me for that. And sometimes, sometimes forgiveness is over trivial things like that, isn't it? But sometimes, I mean, forgiveness, forgiveness is difficult and, and, and it's complex. I'll never forget, some of you may remember the tragedy at the Nickel Mines Amish school back in 2006 when a gunman entered into this small Amish school, forced all of the male students out, barricaded the doors, and then shot 10 young girls, killing five and wounding the five other. And it was, it was an event that, that shook this small, not just this small Amish community, but really the evil and the brutality of it shocked the world. But what was equally shocking to the world was the fact that this small Amish community, guided by their faith in Christ, publicly forgave the shooter and embraced his wife as an act of forgiveness. One of the ladies that was a, a part of that community, she said to the reporter, she says, we have to forgive. Jesus forgave us our sins. How can we expect forgiveness if we can't give it? How can we expect forgiveness if we can't give it? And as we look at our 
parable this morning in Matthew chapter 18. That's exactly the question that Jesus poses to us in this parable. It's, it's a, a challenging parable that forces us to ask the question, why is forgiveness so important? Why should we forgive? That's the question we ask. And if you haven't already, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at the parable this morning of what is called the parable of the unforgiving servant. So we're looking at Matthew 18. I'm going to read for us verses 21 to 35, what we'll be looking at. And uh, if you have your Bibles or your devices open to that, and if you're able to, I'm going to invite you to stand in reverence to God's word this morning. And I'm going to read for us these verses. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Listen, I, I love Peter. I love Peter. Because Peter asks the question that everyone is wondering, but everyone's too afraid to ask. Jesus in the verses before had just emphasized the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation in the life of the church and also in the life of the believer. And, and Peter, he, he asks a great question. Basically he's saying, okay, yes, Jesus, forgiveness is important, no doubt. But like how many times, how many times do I have to forgive them? 
And he picks this number seven. Uh, You see that in verse 21. Look there with me in verse 21. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, he said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Now to Peter's credit, uh, in his mind, he's being gracious. He understands the importance of forgiveness. And and most commentators would say that what Peter was thinking of was this uh, tradition and teaching from the religious leaders of that time that said that you should forgive your fellow Jew three, no more than four times. And the teaching was three strikes, you're out. And Peter, he thought, well, I mean, okay, we got to show a bit of grace. He got that much. So he upped it a bit. Seven seems to be the number of completion. So you can't be talking about more than seven times, right, Lord? Seven times? And that seems reasonable, doesn't it? I mean, come on, that's reasonable. I mean, if you have me over your house and you catch me stealing from you, how many times are you going to let me back in your house? I mean, seven seems reasonable, doesn't it? Like, hey, David. You had your seven chances, you're no longer welcome at my house. I mean, that that seems reasonable and nobody would fault you for that through saying you haven't been gracious enough. And what we would hope, like we're all on on our toes here, like what's Jesus going to say, right? Like we're hoping he's going to be like, no, Peter, no, don't be ridiculous. No more than four times. Come on, seven's too many. Or maybe we're hoping that he gives some qualifications here, some boundaries about what is forgivable and what is going too far beyond the hope of forgiveness. But he doesn't, does he? As gracious as Peter was being, and he was being gracious, Jesus says, Peter, you're not going far enough. Do you see it? Look at there, verse 22. It says, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some of your versions uh, will translate as 70 times seven, which uh, I did the math, that's 490 times. You're welcome. (laughs) I mean, could you imagine... Allowing someone to wrong you 77 times or or 490 times. Could you imagine that? And I know what some of us would do, right? Right? We we would go home and we would make a chart. And, And some of you, you love Excel. Some of you would go home and you'd make an Excel spreadsheet. And you'd list everyone's name there that you know and put in some calculations and formulas in there. So you'd calculate when everyone gets to there's no, sorry, that's 49, 490 times, you're done. You've reached your limit of forgiveness here. Sorry, brother. Sorry, sister. Do you really think that's what Jesus is getting at here? Do we really think the point is that there is a number? Now, the point is as many times as necessary. The point is forgive until you lose count. I mean, if we're asking the question of why forgiveness as we are this morning, why is forgiveness so important? I think it starts here. Very basic. It has to start with the fact that we as believers and followers of Jesus, we should forgive simply because we're commanded to. Jesus 
has commanded us to forgive. He's stating this in the form of a commandment. He says, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. It's a commandment from Jesus, from our Lord, that as many times as is necessary, you forgive your brother or sister who has sinned against you. No qualifications there, no disclaimers. Jesus just clearly commands us to forgive. And if he commands us forgive, to forgive, here's what that tells us. It tells us that forgiveness is not about your feelings or your emotions. Because you can't command a feeling or emotion. Rather, forgiveness is a choice that we make. Forgiveness is an act. An act that we choose to do. We may not feel like forgiving, but you can choose. You can make the choice to forgive. And being a part of as many forgiveness conversations as I have, I've, I've, had a, I've heard a lot of reasons that people come up with to get around having to forgive. I've heard them all. Probably the greatest one is, well, I can forgive, but I just can't forget. As though holding on to something and allowing it to continue to create a wedge or become a grudge or a grievance is true forgiveness. I forgive, but I can't forget. So I remind that person every chance I get of the wrong they have done to me. And then I treat them with disrespect or ignore them and act like they don't exist because I forgive them, but I can't forget. Let me ask you, is like, be honest, is that true forgiveness? What if that was the kind of forgiveness that God showed us? Like every step we made, he reminded us of the wrong that we have done. What if God forgave but didn't forget? See, the good news of the gospel, the good news of grace is that he removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. And he remembers our sin no more, the Bible tells us. And of course, we know that, that God doesn't truly forget, but what the, all of that means is that he treats us as if we never sinned in the first place. That's what forgiveness is. If I have forgiven you, I have put that wrong behind us and no longer allow it to impact how I treat you. I get it, right? Forgiveness, forgiveness is hard. It's, it's not like a light switch that we can just turn on and turn off. Because there's real and raw emotions involved. But I, I like the analogy more of ringing a bell. No, forgiveness isn't about how I feel. It's an action, but it's an action that has lasting implications. We ring that bell of forgiveness. And, and you think of especially those large bells that are like in, in, in clock towers, right? And, and you ring that bell and that ringing goes on for some time. But eventually the noise of the bell will fade out in the background. And I think that's what forgiveness is like. 
Like we make the choice to forgive. We ring that bell and maybe the ringing goes on and on. But the more that I remind myself of my choice to forgive, the quieter that ringing gets. Forgiveness can be a process, but it is a process that we must pursue. The question is, well, well, what if the person doesn't deserve my forgiveness? Hmm. What if they don't even recognize that they have wronged me? And, And I do think we need to talk about this. I mean, oftentimes I think what we do is we confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. They're different things. Because there can be forgiveness without reconciliation. But you can't, have, you can't have reconciliation without forgiveness. Reconciliation requires repentance. In fact, our, our parable this morning, it comes on the heels of Jesus teaching on the importance of reconciliation. We can see what biblical reconciliation looks like. If we just back up to verse 15 and you read that with me, this is what forgiveness and reconciliation look like. Look at verse 15 of chapter 18 there. He says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So forgiveness and and reconciliation, here's what it isn't. It isn't sweeping things under the rug, but Jesus is emphasizing the importance that a conversation has to happen. If you feel that you have been wronged, the answer isn't holding a grudge or growing in bitterness about it. The answer isn't in talking to everyone else about it except the person who has wronged you. But you need to sit down, talk to that person who has wronged you and have a conversation. And if that doesn't work or, or if it's not possible, maybe it's not safe for you to be alone with that person, Jesus says, well, get some help. Get some counsel. Sometimes it takes getting a, a mediator or a counselor or a pastor. Sit down with both parties. Let's, let's talk this thing out. But notice what else needs to happen before reconciliation can happen. There needs to be an acceptance of sin. I mean, if you take it to them, Jesus says, and they listen to you. That is, they accept what you're saying. They confess their sin. They ask for your forgiveness. You have gained a brother. See, so many of us, we miss this step. We minimize forgiveness to just simply sweeping things under the rug or ignoring them and hoping they'll go away. No, in order for reconciliation to happen, there has to be this dialogue that takes place where I share my hurts with you. You accept your wrongs you have done and we establish a healthy path forward. But what if... They're not repentant. What about if they won't accept their wrong? Well, then I would say there's forgiveness, but not necessarily reconciliation. Here's some some misconceptions I I think that I often find about forgiveness. And here's here's one of them. Often uh, there's there's misconception that, that there is forgiveness, 
but there still may be consequences. I mean, if you keep reading on, you'll get into Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus talks about marriage and divorce, and he gives the reason for uh, divorce as sexual immorality, as reasonable grounds for divorce. Now, that doesn't mean divorce has to happen. The, the desire is for reconciliation. But listen, it just may be that a consequence of your infidelity is you lose your marriage. There may be forgiveness. Your spouse may forgive you. But the consequences are you have forfeited your marriage. If you steal money from your company, there may be forgiveness, but there's still consequences. You're probably still going to lose your job. And depending upon the severity of your stealing, you might even have to go to jail. There may be indeed forgiveness that takes place, but there's still consequences for our actions. It doesn't always mean that things go back to the way they were or that things can be repaired. Here's another important misconception about forgiveness, that forgiveness doesn't mean that you take steps to protect yourself. You may forgive someone, but it just may not be safe or even healthy for you to be around that person anymore. If you, if, listen, if I continue to steal from your home, you may forgive me, but perhaps that open invitation may have to change. I think it's so important this morning that you hear this. If, if you find yourself this morning in a, an abusive, toxic, damaging relationship, if you are in a relationship where someone is taking advantage of you or your kindness, you can forgive them, but you need to take steps to protect yourself, to put boundaries in place where you, where you aren't constantly putting yourself in a position to be hurt. Forgiveness is not always about reconciliation, but, but sometimes it's just about releasing yourself from holding on to unnecessary anger or bitterness or hatred towards a purpose person. Forgiveness at times can be about healing taking place in your heart. And that brings us to this last misconception I often find that people have when it comes to forgiveness we often hold back forgiveness from someone because, well, we don't want them to get away with it. We don't want to let them off the hook. And we feel as though our anger towards them, our bitterness is, is some kind of punishment for them. Listen, holding on, My friend, if you aren't willing, if this person isn't willing to recognize they're wrong, the only person you're hurting is yourself. Sometimes forgiveness isn't about letting someone else off the hook. Sometimes forgiveness is about letting yourself off the hook. Holding on to anger and bitterness towards someone is like drinking poison and expecting it to harm someone else. We can be so angry, so bitter, so hurt by someone that's impacting my emotional peace, my mental health. We, we can't sleep. We, we can't enjoy life. We can't enjoy our families because we're so consumed 
with anger and bitterness. And so we create our own little prisons of unforgiveness. So, so sometimes forgiveness, it's for our own good, for our own peace. So that we can move on with life and live as God has called us. We, we don't want to be slaves to our own unforgiving hearts. No doubt forgiveness, it can be complex. It can be difficult. And yet Jesus has commanded us to forgive. And, and here's the reason. Here's the reason he commands us to forgive. We forgive because it reflects the heart of our God. We forgive because it reflects the heart of the God that we serve. And that's what Jesus wants us to see in this parable this morning. He gives us in our parable this image of a king who wants to settle accounts with his servants. And the key to understanding this is the understanding that the king in this parable is, the, is God, our king. And the servant in this parable is symbolic of you or I. So you need to understand that in order to get what's going on in this parable. So, so look at this imagery that you, Jesus uses to describe our king. We see it there starting in verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And it says, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Jesus wants us to see the heart of our heavenly father. And so he tells us this story about a king and his servant. And this servant was indebted, in debt to his master, his king. And the day came for accounts to be settled. That is, this king wanted to collect on the debts that were owed to him. And this particular servant... His debt was serious, like very serious. Notice it says, this is important, it says that he owed him 10,000 talents. Now we need to realize how much that is. Uh, you, maybe you remember last week we were talking about the workers in the vineyard, right? And we talked about the denarii. And we said a denarii was worth one day's wage, right? Denarii's one day's wage. So let's put this in perspective. One talent... One talent, just one talent, is worth 6,000 denarii. That's one talent is equal to 6,000 days of work. Now this servant is in debt by 10,000 talents. Now I'm, I'm no accountant or mathematician, but I think it's safe to say that this man was so indebted to this king that even if he worked every day for the rest of his life, he would never be able to pay this debt. I read some commentators this week, they did the, you know, the addition subtraction of inflation and all that over the years, and they estimate that this could be zillions of dollars, not millions, not billions, zillions 
of dollars. This man will never pay in 10 lifetimes this debt that is over his head. Feels like my mortgage sometimes. <laughs> and the king knows this man can't pay it. And we see his reaction. It says the king was ready to have this man sold into slavery with his wife and children so that he could recoup at least some of this debt. But notice, notice that this servant pleads for mercy. You see it there in verse 26. It says the servant fell on his knees imploring him. That is, he begged him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. You can't do that. The amazing reaction of the king in verse 27 and out of pity for him the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt amazing grace how sweet the sound I mean for some reason this king has pity on this servant he forgives him this zillions of dollars of debt this insurmountable debt that he had mercy on him he poured out grace upon him he forgives him and 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 what Jesus wants us to see what we need to walk away from is to see that on display is the heart of the heavenly father towards every sinner who repents and cries out for mercy This picture, this image is a scene of our salvation. This is what the Lord does for everyone who repents and everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus that he died for our sin to be forgiven and has was been resurrected from the dead so that we might have new life in his name. Oh, he shows us insurmountable mercy. And the debt of sin that we owe is forgiven. And I think about this again, you know, I, I think it's an accurate picture of our sin before God. I mean, I, I thought about it this week and I did some math here with a calculator. I mean, I'm 39 years old. Now let's just for ease, let's, let's just round that up. I'm 40 years old. Now I confess, I sin every day. Every day of my life. How many times, I don't know. How many times I sin a day, I don't know. But let's just say once. One sin a day for 40 years. Now we know it's way more than that, okay? I, I get it. Let's just say one. You multiply one sin a day by 40 years. That's 14,600 sins that God has forgiven me for. Bare minimum. I think we, we could even just increase that to two sins per day for 40 years. That's double the amount. That's 29,200. And, and I would be safe to say we could push it to 10 a day, 10 times. That's 146,000. That's a conservative estimate. 146,000 sins that I have been forgiven of easily. Probably way more in 40 years. I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. I don't think, 
Praise God. Praise the Lord. I don't think we fully comprehend the weight and the depth of our sinfulness. I don't think we can fully comprehend just how much you and I have been forgiven of. And Jesus' point is, is that if we fully comprehend just how much we have been forgiven of, we wouldn't hesitate to extend forgiveness to others. We're commanded for, to forgive, not because it's easy, but because it reflects the heart of the God we serve. It reflects just what he's done for us in a minuscule way. You and I were drowning in our sin, so in debt to God that if we lived an eternity of lifetimes, we could never, never, never repay. And yet God has shown us mercy and he continues to show us mercy each and every day and that he does not count our sins against us. And when you and I choose to extend grace and forgive, we reflect the heart of the God that we serve. It's important to note this kind of forgiveness isn't a forgiveness that everyone can give. This kind of forgiveness isn't expected of everyone. This kind of forgiveness is expected of those who are a part of the kingdom of heaven. That is, that this is a supernatural, Holy Spirit-empowered kind of forgiveness. Jesus is saying, you won't find this kind of forgiveness in the world. That's why he starts his parable the way he did, same way he did last week. He says, uh, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to. You can't find this kind of forgiveness in the world. This kind of forgiveness is only available to those who belong in the kingdom of heaven. The world's perspective, it looks much like Peter's expectation. Three strikes, you're out, buddy. But some of them won't even give you that. But in the kingdom of heaven, forgiveness is extended to the repentant. Reconciliation is available to all who will call on the king for mercy and grace. That's the image that we're seeing here. But if you consider yourself a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, this is the kind of forgiveness that is evident in your life. Why? Because when you enter into the kingdom, God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and your heart is transformed. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. That's the second reason we see in this parable why we forgive. We forgive because as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, forgiveness reflects the transformation within us. Forgiveness reflects the transformation within us. Think about this. This servant has just been forgiven this insurmountable debt. I mean, how, how, how would you and I expect him to leave out of that, 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 uh, that, that king's palace there? Like we, he'd be kicking and praising and happy and a new man, a, a new creation with a fresh start. 
And that's why his, his reaction, it's so confusing. I mean, the first thing he does is he finds, he, we're told that he found someone, which means he actually went out and looking for this person who owed him money. Look there in verse 28, it says, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, right? So a hundred days work compared to a zillion dollar debt, right? We need to see that. He, this guy owed him a hundred denarii and he says, seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down, pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. That's strange, isn't it? I mean, he's forgiven this insurmountable debt. And the first thing he does is he goes and finds a, a fellow servant who owed him a fraction of the debt he was just forgiven. And he becomes violent, choking him. And notice the servant begs him for mercy the exact same way he begged the king for mercy. Please have patience with me and I will pay you. And what we would hope, I mean, this is, this is the happy ending here that this servant would remember, man, like I was just shown amazing grace. And I know, I can feel how liberating that was for me. What a difference it made. How life-changing it is. I'm going to repay my master's kindness by forgiving my fellow servant. That's what we would hope. But he doesn't. He shows no mercy. He refuses to extend grace and he throws the man in prison until he could pay back his debt. Now just stop for a second and think how ridiculous this man looks. He's just been forgiven a debt he could not pay. And this fellow servant owes him a fraction of what the king forgave him. And yet he refuses to show mercy. And here's Jesus' point. This is how ridiculous you and I look when we refuse to extend forgiveness when we are wronged. That as much as we've been wronged and a hundred days worth of work is not a small debt, however much it is, it could never amount to what we've been forgiven of. Jesus wants us to get that. That this is the work of grace in your life. There's a transformation that takes place. Grace doesn't just release us of our debt, but grace empowers us, transforms us to be able to show forgiveness to those who have wronged us. It's the reason that Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The two go hand in hand. If, if you've been forgiven and you've been impacted by that forgiveness, it will change your life. This man's been forgiven, but there's no transformation in his life. You know, one of the ways the Lord has taught me to show grace to others is he brings me through seasons where the reality of my own sin and failure become just such a reality to me. 
mean, there have been seasons in my life when I have failed and fallen on my face. I have let down the God that I have served. I have failed my family, disappointed my wife, and I have felt the weight of that, the guilt, the shame, and yet I've also experienced the power of grace and being forgiven and the power of restoration. And here's what I've noticed. Here's what God has taught me as I've come out of those seasons of failure. I find that when I am more aware of my own failures and my own need for grace, I am not so hard on others who have fallen and failed. I find that when I come out of those seasons where I have experienced tremendous grace, grace when I needed it, I find I'm much more willing to extend grace to others. Maybe the problem is you just haven't failed enough. But when you have failed, when you have fallen and experienced forgiveness, you recognize so clearly that you are in no position to hold a grudge or stand in judgment over others. And what Jesus is saying here is that when you and I withhold forgiveness from others, when you and I refuse to show grace and extend mercy, it's because, it has to be because, we haven't truly experienced the power of grace ourselves. We haven't experienced the power of repentance and forgiveness. This man was forgiven, but he wasn't transformed by the forgiveness. And it's why Jesus ends this parable the way he does. It's a, a warning. Warning! Look at what it says in verse 31. It says, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Sobering words here. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. When we hear the words of this king, you wicked servant. I mean, I forgave you all that debt, and yet you refuse to have mercy on your fellow servant as I have shown mercy to you. And what does he do? He, the judgment that was withheld upon this man is now pronounced upon him. And Jesus' words here, they ring out loud and clear as a warning. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's a sobering statement. Jesus is trying to get 
our attention here, and I think he does a good job. Let me ask you, let me ask you, who do you think the hardest people to reach with the gospel are? The hardest people to reach with the gospel are not those who are out in the world, not those who have never heard the gospel. Listen, the hardest people to reach with the gospel are the people that show up to church every Sunday. People who walk and talk like Christians. People who think they are Christians, but in their heart they're not. And Jesus is speaking to those people in this parable. Those who believe they are a part of the kingdom, but are not. And one of the signs that you may be deceived about being in the kingdom is that you're much like this servant here, wanting to enjoy the blessings of forgiveness, but not willing to extend forgiveness to others. If forgiveness, listen, if forgiveness reflects the heart of the God we serve and you refuse to show forgiveness, the question is then, do you have the heart of God within you? And if forgiveness reflects the transforming power of grace in your life, yet you refuse to extend grace, you have to question, then have I been transformed? What Jesus is teaching here is that there's this unbreakable connection between Christ's forgiveness to us and forgiveness of others. No, we're not saved by forgiving others, but if we refuse to forgive, it demonstrates the true nature of our hearts. If you are not willing to extend grace, the question is perhaps you have not really experienced the power of the gospel. Because if you and I understood what Christ has done for us, we would not hesitate to forgive when we are wronged. We return to our question of why. Why must we forgive? And the very simple answer is because we're commanded to. I mean, that's where it has to start for us. We forgive because Jesus clearly commands us to forgive those who have sinned against us. But then we could press it further and and ask, well, why does Jesus command us? And in our passage this morning, we find that answer. We forgive because it reflects the heart of the God we serve. It reflects how God treats every sinner, including you and I, that comes to him in repentance and seeking grace and mercy. We forgive because it reflects the transformation within. That is that those who have been truly forgiven, those who have experienced the power of grace are not just walking around with a clean slate, but that same grace empowers us and transforms us to show grace to those who have wronged us. I think we need to just end with asking the question, well, where do I start? Well, I think it starts with a conversation. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's an email, a letter, a text. 
Maybe it starts for you with seeking counsel, finding a trusted friend, a trusted counselor, a pastor to walk with you in what this healthy path of reconciliation with the wrong, with the one who has wronged you, what it looks like. And yet maybe you're in a position this morning where it's not safe for you to reach out. And if it's not safe for you to reach out, I, I wouldn't advise you to reach out. Or maybe you're in a position where the wrong who has wronged you is no longer among the living. One of the things I suggest is putting your thoughts in a letter, writing it out, getting it all out, expressing how you've been wrong and expressing that you are releasing that person of your bitterness and anger. And then you can just rip that letter up and throw it out. But there needs to be something some act of extending forgiveness and releasing yourself of the burden of anger and bitterness. And yet maybe you're here this morning and you aren't the one who has been wronged, but you are the one who knows that you've wronged another. Then my friend, don't wait for them to come to you. But if you have wronged another, take the initiative Make the phone call, write the email, reach out, confess your sin, and seek reconciliation if possible. And it may not be possible, but at least the healing process of forgiveness can begin. Thanks for listening and making us a part of your walk. We encourage you to take today's teachings and apply it to your life. Challenge not only yourself, but those around you. Our support in your journey does not end here. To hear more messages from all our series or to speak to someone to help grow your faith, visit us at branley.org.